We've been in a series on the commands of Jesus. He who has my commands and does them, he it is who loves me. So we've got to have his commands and we've got to do them to show him how much we love him. And so we've been in the commands on the Sermon on the Mount where it seems like a lot of the commands of Jesus are concentrated. And I've come to the end of chapter 6 of Matthew. And, and the one I want to focus on is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does it mean to do that? How do we go about seeking his kingdom first above all else? Let's read the context and kind of build up to that. Therefore I tell you, verse 25 of Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? Actually, I think anxiety shortens your life rather than adding to it. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious. That's the third time he's used the word anxious, isn't it? Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, once again, Gentiles is a, another word for pagans or non-believers. For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here's verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Some translations say shall be added unto you. Verse 34. Therefore do not be anxious, that's the fourth time, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the, day, let the days on trouble be sufficient for the day. So the, the whole context is one of, of how to deal with anxiety, how to, how to deal with worrying about your food, worrying about your clothing, worrying about things, and being anxious about things. And Jesus is saying, just don't worry, don't be anxious. Jesus knows what you need, and look how he takes care of the birds, look how he takes care of the flowers. How much more does he love you? How much more is he going to take care of you? So why be anxious? Why worry? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else will be yours as well. Let's bow together. Father, as we come today to think about seeking your kingdom above all else, show us what that means and how we can do that. Help us reorder our priorities. Reshape them so that your kingdom becomes the most important thing in your life and seeking it and desiring it and allowing it to have reign in our hearts and lives. Help us to seek your righteousness, to forsake sin, repent and turn our back on it and give our lives solely to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I read a story about a man who owns an aviary in Dallas, Texas. Aviary, he had a bunch of birds. And he was moving several cages of birds 
from Dallas to North Dallas up the Northwest Expressway in an open truck. They were going about 50 miles an hour going up the Northwest Expressway, cages of birds in the back, and he happened to glance in his side view mirror and he saw a strange thing happening because in those cages, those birds were flapping their wings as hard as they could with that face wind coming at them going up the road. They weren't sitting on their perches, they were going 50 miles an hour and they're flapping their wings just as fast as they could, thinking they were really going somewhere. The truth was, if they had just sat on their perches, they would have gotten there at the same time. But instead they felt by flapping and flitting around, they could actually accomplish something when they were actually accomplishing nothing. And I read that story and I thought, how much like us, we are like those birds. God tells us to rest in him. God tells us to quit flitting around and flying around and trying to accomplish something. And the truth is, if we just remain where he places us, we'll get to where he wants to take us in peace, without worry, without anxiety like those birds who were flapping their wings thinking they were going somewhere when in reality they weren't. We know this, but we let our schedules get a little burdensome. We have some problems maybe in our family. We let pressures bog us down. We get some bad news and and we begin to worry. It begins to sink in and we don't know what to make of it and we don't know what to do. And we're challenged by it. And so we stop resting in God and we get off the perch that he's placed us on where we can find the peace that he desires and the abundant living that he's given us. And we just start flitting around and flying around and bouncing around in the cage wondering what in the world is going to happen, what's going to become of us. And we just get all upset. There's, you know, years ago, I'd never heard of this before until I think maybe 20 years ago, and I began to hear about people having anxiety attacks. You remember the day before that was a a phenomenon? But now anxiety attacks are fairly common. People just become paralyzed. They, they, They start breathing fast. Their pulses rise. Their blood pressures go up. And And they just don't know how they're going to be able to accomplish everything that they want to do, that that they have to do. And Jesus says, don't be anxious. Seek the kingdom first and his righteousness. And everything else will be yours as well. I don't know why we're like that. I don't know why. Where, Where along the way did we figure out that if we pedaled harder, we could get there faster. Somewhere along the way, we're driven to succeed, but what do we sacrifice in doing so? I read a story about a woman who was, um, it was Money Magazine, and what it said was throughout her life, throughout her entire life, she saved 80% of her income and lived on 20%. And she invested all of that 80% in the stock market. And after 20, after 50 years, she had amassed a fortune of $22 million in the stock market. That's what she gained. But what did she lose? 
She had no friends. She walked to work instead of riding the bus and using the change to invest. She spent only a few dollars a week on groceries. She never bought any new clothes. Um, so the clothes she wore were worn and tattered and had holes in them. Um, the last five years of her life, well, she had no friends. And the last five, this is amazing, the last five years of her life, she didn't have a single personal phone call from anyone. If you can imagine how lonely and isolated that must have been for her. The highlight of her life was walking to the Merrill Lynch office and looking at her portfolio. What had happened to her priorities? How had she gotten things so messed up? Well, things shifted in her life. And what should have been foremost in her life dropped down. And what should have been low down on the list had been raised up. A theologian says that whatever your highest priority in life is, whatever is most important to you is your God. And I, you, you'll notice in your outline, that's a small g for God. The secretary said, are you sure you want a small g there? I said, yes, because we're not talking about the Lord, the Lord God. We're talking about something that you substitute in place of the Lord God. Whether it's money, whether it's activities, whether it's a hobby, whether it's sports, whatever it is that takes front and center of your life, whatever it is that is the most important thing, this theologian says that has become your ultimate concern. You think about it when you're not doing anything else. It has become the most important thing in your life. And it functions for you like a God, small g. Whether you worship it outwardly or not, it doesn't matter. Because you ponder it, you think about it, you focus on it when you're not doing... So what do you think about when you're not doing anything else? What is the priority in your life? That can easily become your God, small g, because it's not the Lord God unless it is He. God, our God, is God. And he tells us that he is a jealous God and he will not tolerate any other gods beside him. There are, and those are small g's because there are no other capital G gods beside him. He feeds the birds, he clothes the grass, he knows what you need, he's going to take care of you. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and you will have all you need. So says his word and he does not lie. You can count on him to do that. Jesus tells us why we should seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And he gives us three good reasons. And the first one is the theme of the whole Bible. God loves you. That is the most important message that I could get across to you today or any Sunday or any day. It's the most important message that Jesus has for you. God loves you. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the grass. And Jesus is saying, if he does that for the birds and the grass that are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more so is he going to take care of you whom he created and sent Jesus to die for and whom he has proven over and over again how much he loves you. He knows what you need. He's going to provide it for you. Birds don't have complicated lives, but they manage to get by. 
They don't have a lot of things they have to move when they change nests from one year to the next. And yet somehow they usually look pretty happy, don't they? Birds usually have something to sing about. And I can't always say that about you and me. Because we let worry bog us down. God takes care of the birds. He takes care of the grass. And he'll take care of us. Will we have everything we want? No, it doesn't say. And all these things that you want will be yours as well. No, it's the things that you need, that God knows you need, food and clothing and a roof over your head. We have all these things. But we worry about so much more. I heard somebody, a statistician, say one time, and I think it's probably true, and I think about this when I start worrying. 90% of the things you worry about never happen. And the other 10% you can't do anything about anyway. And so you, we waste so much of our time worrying about the 90% that never come to pass. I guess we focus on the 10% and think maybe worry somehow will help, but it doesn't. And we lose so much joy because we've forgotten how much God loves us. And the second thing we've forgotten is that we can trust God. You can trust God. How many times has God let you down? How many times has he lied to you? How many times has he deserted you? Never. He's the only person who will never let you down. The only person who will never give up on you, who will never desert you. God knows what you need. He loves you. He wants the best for you. Now it's true, Jesus who said this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be yours as well. How did Jesus die? He died on a cross. But the people who wrote this, who recorded these words of Jesus, the gospel writers, so no, no contradiction there. God knows you, he loves you, and yet Jesus died on the cross because when we belong to God, short term doesn't matter that much. When we belong to God, we get the long view. Death is not, doesn't matter. It's not that important because we see eternity. That's what matters. How many of you have ever played the board game Monopoly? Monopoly is the most popular board game in the world. I remember playing it in high school and college, and it's fun. It can take a long time if you play it right. 275 million games have been sold, 111 countries, 43 different languages. The longest Monopoly game lasted 70 straight days. Obviously, they didn't have anything else to do. Neiman Marcus had a, a version, a chocolate version, of Monopoly that cost $600. That version wouldn't last long at our house because we'd keep eating the pieces. The most expensive version cost $2 million of Monopoly, 23-carat gold board and diamond-studded dice. But if you stop and think about it, and the reason I mention this is because the strategy behind Monopoly is the exact opposite of what Jesus teaches. Think about it. The idea, the goal of Monopoly is to store up as many treasures as you can for yourself 
here on earth, buy houses and hotels, and you accumulate as much wealth as possible and put everybody else in the game bankrupt. And that's fun. And that's what we are raised to do, to succeed, to climb the ladder and accumulate all that we can in this world, regardless of what happens to everybody else. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching. And I got to thinking, how, how, and I may invent this game, how popular would a game called generosity be? Where you start out with, you know, in Monopoly you start with a little bit of money and you see how much you accumulate. In my game, generosity, we start out with a lot of money and the person who wins is the one who distributes it most wisely, who shares it most successfully with others. You still have all that you need. But my game called generosity would be, God has blessed us with so much. How much can we share and still get by and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because when all is said and done, either we trust God or we don't. There's not really any gray area there, is there? There's not really any in-between. Either we trust him or we don't. I was visiting an elderly man one day with cancer and he was lying on the sofa when I went in in his living room. And as I came in, he sat up and he was straightening his hair and still trying to get his bearings. And I asked him, how you doing? How you feeling? He said, well, it's like this. I praised him when things were good and I'm not going to stop when they aren't. Because you can trust God because he loves you and he will provide what you need. And this kind of leads to the third point. Not only does God love you, not only can you trust him, but we just need a reminder every once in a while, like Jesus showed us on the cross, that life is eternal. Life is eternal. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8, 18. The sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings of the present time not worthy to can be compared to the glory that is revealed to us. Because if you stop and think about it, how, how long does 80 or 90 years compare to eternity? I mean, 80 or 90 years is like a dot. Eternity is like a line that goes on forever and ever. And God has put us here these 80, 90 years, however long he leaves us here, to prepare for the life to come that really matters. This is like an eight-week boot camp, only this is a lot shorter comparison to eternity. We're on boot camp here, preparing for eternity, getting ready for the life that really matters because life is temporal and it is eternal. And the temporal part, the part that we have here on earth, is so brief and so fleeting And the eternal is what lasts forever. And God has put us here to get ready. So taking the long view, the long look of eternity, helps us not get quite so bent out of shape about small things over which we have no control anyway. That 10% over which we can't do anything about anyway. Jesus dealt with this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying, and he sweat, and it was so real, 
And it was so, so difficult, he actually sweat drops of blood as he contemplated over what the next few hours would be for him. He knew. But he also saw the backdrop of eternity. And he got up from that prayer and he did not waver in facing what lay ahead for him. He knew what had to be done for eternity. And so what happens to us in this world, in this life, is preparing us for eternity. So we trust God or we don't. We love Him or we don't because He loves us and we can trust Him. And so that's why Jesus was able to say, seek ye first. Put it top on your list of priorities. Seek Him and His kingdom. And his kingdom is not a fortress in the sky. His kingdom is His rule in your heart. When Jesus is ruling in your heart, when his reign is in your heart, then his kingdom is, is alive and real. And that's what it's all about. Seeking him in his kingdom, not a fortress in the sky, but his rule in your heart and his righteousness. If you seek that first, knowing he loves you, knowing you can trust him, knowing that life is eternal, then everything else will be okay. He'll take care of you. If you remember these three things, you're going to run out of things to worry about. You really will. Because God loves you. And you can trust Him. And life is eternal. And if you think about those three things, and if you seek His kingdom and his righteousness more than anything else in this world and in this life. There's nothing left to be anxious about. And that's what Jesus is trying to help us with. He's trying to take away the anxiety and in its place put a fuller measure of himself by commanding us to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness above all else. Let's bow together. Father, we come today trusting you, loving you. But help us, Lord, to, to know how much you love us. Help us to experience that love, to feel it. It's one thing to know it in our minds, but to transfer it to our hearts takes a lot more than just moving a few inches. It takes investing our life in the things that you love. Help us give you free reign in our hearts, rule over our lives, so that your kingdom comes to life in our, in our lives and in our hearts, so that your kingdom takes control, takes priority above all else. And we know we can trust you. We know that you love us. We know that life is eternal. And so when we get to eternity and we look forward to what lies ahead, Lord, we don't want to be looking backward with regret 
and saying, I sure could have done that better. I wish I had seen, I wish I had known, I wish I had prepared better. So help us begin right here, right now, seeking you first in your kingdom and your righteousness. Knowing that everything we need, I mean, we're going to do our part. We're not going to sit in a lounge chair and just wait for things to happen. We're going to continue living and working and serving. We're going to stop worrying. We're going to stop being anxious no matter what the stock market does, no matter what happens around us, because we know ultimately we are in your hands and we're safe there. In Jesus' name. Amen.